I think I'm just a normal guy doing a normal thing of meeting with kids, and that's it. I don't get inflated in any arena, but I do look back at my life and I go, you know, the older I get, the more that I see that God has had a plan. Welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and we're going to meet Mark Gregston of Heartlight today, a ministry aimed at helping troubled teens and their families. First Person is a weekly program introducing you to people and their stories of God's faithfulness and calling. Some of the people who join us each week may be familiar names to you, and some may not be as known, but each is another chapter in the story of God at work in the lives of those who trust Him. Since we've been on the air a few months now, the list of past interviews is growing, and you can listen to any one of a number of programs online at firstpersoninterview.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and Twitter, and those links can be found at firstpersoninterview.com. Mark Gregston is someone with whom I've spent many hours on the radio. Mark and I host a program called Parenting Today's Teens, which is widely heard across America on radio and online at parentingtodaysteens.org. But even though we spend time talking each week, I wanted to go a little deeper with Mark's own story and learn more about his calling to heal broken families. I never really wanted to live with kids. I never thought about that. I never wanted to write books. I never wanted to be on the radio. Somebody suggested that to me, and I said, you've got to be kidding. I, I don't want to be on the radio. I mean, so I, th- I think the motivation has been to meet the needs of people. And if it's a good way to do that, then that's what we do. We started with one little girl that came and lived with us when my wife and I were 21 years old, and that's how it really all started. A family was in need, and they said, can you help us? We were both in college, and we said, well, sure, let her come live with us, and we'll spend some time with her. And so over the years, I think our hearts have always kind of moved toward those kids that were struggling, the families that were struggling. And as I was pursuing a degree in finance and and emphasis in real estate, what I was learning was how to handle kids, how to deal with families, and come up with some solutions that were going to work and be very practical within the home. You took the typical track. You started as a youth pastor? Yeah. Yeah. I started working with Young Life, and uh, somebody came up to me and just said, hey, would you like to work with kids? And I said, well, sure. I had some time, and I was bored in school. And, you were and, one. What are you, who yeah, are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> I was 19, and I thought, well, yeah, that'll be fun. And so... We started, but it was in those initial years that I learned a lot about how to engage with kids and the relationship concepts. And and, and I always thought that if we're learning so much about relationships, we ought to learn how to take those into the conflict that families are having. Now, I don't think it was anything really lined out or I would sit at night and write out, okay, this is how you do it. I just think that that there was something going on that – It's almost like God was kind of leading us through something without us knowing it. Because had we had really known it, I think we would have backed out of it. (laughs) If somebody would have told me, you're going to be living with 50 high school kids in East Texas, and I love Texas, um, and you're going to be on the radio, and you're going to write books, I think I would have said, you know what? A sailboat down in the Caribbean sounds really nice. (laughs) And uh, I think I would have walked the other way. On top of all that, you're going to have to go out and raise a lot of money to support all that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I didn't know that. I never really wanted to. I just met with people that I'd known for years, and I said, hey, this is this is what I feel like we're supposed to be doing. Can you be a part of it? And uh, and so people believed in that and said, well, yeah, I'll do that. We've had people that have been giving us money for 30 years. It's the same people, and, and uh, uh, that's my group of accountability people, our board of directors, the staff, 
Um, I feel like I owe it to them, and not only them, but my God, to be who I need to be for these kids. And and so it's hanging around a bunch of girls and a bunch of young men and and just saying, hey, how can I love them differently and help them get to a good spot? We'll talk more about Heartlight and the way that you minister to teens and their parents today. But I, I want to talk about you. Hmm. You grew up in New Orleans? Yeah, I did. I was born in West Texas, and uh, my dad was on an oil-blasting crew. And so we rotated from town to town about every 10 days. I lived in Midland, Texas, was born in the same hospital as George Bush, and, and the same doctor delivered us. And um, But we lived there for 10 days. Then we'd move somewhere else, and he'd go out blasting for oil. Well, what did that mean for you, though? I mean, that was a lot of uprooting, wasn't it? Uh, well, it was, but I never really knew it and, until we got to New Orleans. And, and uh, we lived in southern Louisiana for about 10 years. And uh, uh, and then I started to realize that, that uh, I, I think that's where – our roots were initially, but then we moved to Oklahoma, and then I considered that home. And um, I've never, I never really looked at my life and said I've been all over, even though I've lived in thirty or forty different towns throughout Texas. What were your parents like? You know, my parents were, I, I think, very typical. My dad came out of uh, uh, World War II, uh, married my mom. Uh, we grew up, was born in the fifties, and and very distant, very militaristic. And, um, and you know, just two people that were uh, intent on just making life happen, but not real intent on spending time with us. And, um, and, I, and I think that's probably part of the motivation that, that I have to be so relational with kids. And I've, and I've got to tell you, for years and years, um, it bothered me and it angered me that, that I wasn't valuable enough to, for them to spend time with. And, and they were always the one saying, you shouldn't be doing this. The kids think you'll never do anything with kids. You shouldn't work for a church. You shouldn't go up and live at this camp. You you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. And and so it's been somewhat of a struggle throughout my whole life. Your relationship with your dad? You know, I, I think it's uh, just kind of different. It's not a real deep relationship, but I'm no longer angry at him. I had this dream a number of years ago that um, that I died and gone to heaven and and I'm not one of these dreamy kind of guys. And uh, but when I got to heaven, my uh, my dad was standing next to God, and 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 I looked at God and I said, "What is he doing here?" And uh, and God made a comment that to me in that dream that that changed the way I perceived my mom and dad, because he said, "Mark, I want you to know I've been using him in your life for the last fifty years to creating you the person I want you to be." Isn't that interesting? And then it, everything changed for me. I was no longer angry. I've kind of put that beside, you know, and, and now it's just learning how to love somebody that, that I've never felt that's really loved me. Mm-hmm. And and so we honor them and do that, and I wish the relationship was deeper, but because I don't have that with my dad, it makes me more driven to have that with other kids and my own kids and my grandkids and spending time with them, making sure they feel loved. Mm-hmm. When did Jan come into the picture? She is such a, an important part of the Heartlight yeah, uh, yeah. ministry now with teens and yeah, your very... <laughs> partner in ministry and at home. Where did you two meet and how? Uh, yeah, we met in ninth grade. Um, it was after our ninth grade year. We went to a church camp. I don't think I've heard and, this story. And that's how it kind of started. And, and I, when we met there, I asked her to go see this Christian group that was coming to town named Led Zeppelin. And, uh, <laughs> and so— we went on a date, and my mom dropped us off, and and it just started from there. Was it and love at first sight? 
I don't know whether it was that. I think I think quite honestly that that I was so needy because of the way I was raised and and she was so needy because of the sexual abuse that had happened to her mm. from her family that that we just kind of clung together and we became best friends and still are today. I mean the joy of marrying your best friend has been something that's been kind of cool for us and so we got married six years later after our sophomore year of college and have been married 35 years mm. now. But she has been. She's been involved in everything that I've done and been a, a major part of it and uh, just been an absolute jewel. You mentioned Jan's struggle with sexual abuse. I wish she were here to talk about it. But yeah. uh, she and I and you have talked about it many times. Uh, when did she begin to deal with that? You know, I, I, back in the 60s, you didn't deal with it. I mean, you were if you— mentioned anything about sexual abuse, people just said, well, it'll pass. It'll go away. And or they didn't believe you at all. That's right. And 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 that did happen within her family. And and I think uh, you just put it on the back burner and you walk away from it. But the older you get, the more you begin to realize the atrocity of what has actually happened. And so when she was in her 30s, I think she became somewhat depressed and she said, I think I need to go to counseling. And I go, well, I think you do. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and but she said, you're coming with that's me. That's <laughs> right. And I did. And we went for a year and a half and met with a lady who, who really changed our lives, I think. And, and she just held a mirror in front of us and just talked to us about ourselves. And, and It had to be painful. It was. It was real painful. I mean, I think it was a real difficult time to look at the damage that had been done, to have somebody finally sit across from me and say, you have every reason to feel the way that you do. I never thought that. I always thought I'll just cover it up. and Because and, uh, I look at my life and I say, most of the things, as I said earlier, that I've done that, that people haven't been in agreement with me. They've told me I was wrong. I couldn't do it. And, and, so, and that's, I, just, I think I just kind of learned that, okay, that's what people feel. But I need, this is what I need to be doing. And so the fact that we've gotten where we have in doing all these things, which has been somewhat surprising to me, um, and I'm sure it's been somewhat surprising to other people as well who have always kind of boohooed that. I, I've found out that we have a lot more people that want to be friends with us now uh, because of the things that we've done. But it's, uh, but I'm just a normal guy. I mean, I, I think I'm just a normal guy doing a normal thing of meeting with kids, and uh, and that's it. I mean, and so I don't get inflated in any arena. But I, but I do look back at my life and I go, you know, I, I, the older I get, the more that I see that God has had a plan. You see the design, don't you? It really is. And, and, and so in that, it becomes a worshipful time for me. I saw the Beatles when I was nine years old in New Orleans. I stood at City Park and watched them. And, and, uh, and it was interesting because last year I went and saw Paul McCartney of the Beatles. And as he sang his songs, I saw the identity of those songs as he talked about love and talked about good things in life. And I don't know where he is spiritually, but it was a worshipful experience for me because I I can almost tell you exactly where I was spiritually when yeah. those songs were being played. It was the backwards glance. It really mm-hmm. was. And, and, it, and it forced me to kind of look at life in a way that, that said, you know what? Even when I didn't know it, even when I didn't want it, and even when I walked away from it, God still had a plan for my life. And I think from that, any value that I didn't get from my parents, I have surely felt from my relationship with the Lord. And, I, and, and so I hold on to that. And, and I've got to be honest with you. If life ended the day that I die and there was no eternity, I'd be okay with that mm. because the way that God has filled the voids in my life, but also the way he has guided and directed me. Now, 
I don't believe that. I right. think there is eternity. There's and much I, more to come. There's much more to come. a whole lot better, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, and this is just practice for the days ahead. But but I think it's been so good, that realization, that I embrace that in such a way that I really enjoy life. There's more with Mark Gregston of Heartlight Ministries and Parenting Today's Teens coming up in just a moment here on First Person. Next time, I'll introduce you to a young couple who are spending their lives in radio ministry in Albania. It's a great honor to serve the Lord. He has taken us imperfect as we are to do His perfect task. What I have in me, I want to share it with other people. I think that's what keeps me going on this ministry. You'll meet Tani and Afti Beraku of Radio Emmanuel in formerly Atheist Albania next time here on First Person. We'll talk more specifically about Heartlight Ministries with Mark Gregson in just a moment, but as we continue the conversation, I ask Mark to pinpoint one disappointment he's faced in life. Oh, you know, I, I, I can tell you exactly what it is. It was on August 4th, 22 years ago at 1030 in the morning when a good friend of mine said, you're fired. Uh, he said, I've just decided I don't want you here anymore. We had moved to uh, Branson, Missouri and had worked with the ministry that was a spinoff of Canicut Camp. We lived at camp. Jan, my wife, worked for camp, and I worked for this other organization. And you liked being a part of that. I liked being a part of it. And uh, even though there was some difficulty, I um, I really loved being there. And it was almost like somebody just pulled the rug out from underneath you. And and at that point, we were kind of ostracized and, and just kind of eliminated because they went on with their lives, and we were kind of stuck. So your coworkers didn't know what to say to you. Absolutely. I mean, they just kind of stopped. And I, and I thought— have I done something wrong? Have I offended somebody? And there was no discussion or Did you deserve to be fired? Else. You know, I, I think there was a difference in philosophy. Mm-hmm. So it, it it has always been something that I've carried with me. And and uh, But I think even in that, the motivation that came out of that was then produce something that doesn't do that to people. Watch the way that you let people go when you do. And always know that God is going to bring you to a better place. Because quite honestly, it was the best thing that ever happened in my yeah, life. Let me dig a little deeper. What did you learn about yourself? Not about how to treat others, but yeah. just about yourself. Well, I learned that I, I really wasn't as bad as, as I, I felt like I was being made out to be. <laughs> I mean, I, I met with one guy, and, and he said, you know, the severance package, we'll pay you for a few months, but we want to give you some money to go find out what you're supposed to be doing in life. Because you don't need to be working with kids and you don't need to be around families. And and I'm going, what are you talking about? And so, I mean, it, it was some somewhat of a surprise to me. And so it, it was like, you know, somebody gets knocked down, it's kind of the kick in the gut. And, yeah. what, and I think what I learned out of it was that I am okay, that I moved to a foreign place in Hallsville, Texas, which is, I didn't even know where it was, even though I was born in Texas. Kind of off the beaten track. It, it is. And and yet, I mean, I sat there, even when I said, okay, we're going to do this, and a group of men surrounded me and said, let's raise some money for this to happen. I sat and thought, what am I doing? And Because I, I really doubted myself. And it probably wasn't until I got in my late 40s that I really started thinking, you know what? I may be pretty good at this. It takes this. a while to process that, it doesn't does, it? It does. It does. But when you were, let's say, released from mm-hmm. that job, it was more than a job for you. That was part of the pain, wasn't it? It was. It was our life. I mean, and I, I think we had poured our life into it, and it was our community, and it was our people, and, and we loved uh, those folks. And I'm not bitter about it because I said it's right. it's the greatest thing that ever happened in my life was to be let go. 
Um, but at the time, it didn't feel oh, that way. Oh, no. I was depressed. I, I bet you I was depressed for three or four years. Hmm. I remember um, driving a tractor out in the middle of the woods because we ended up buying 100 acres of land in Texas. And I'd be out at 3 o'clock in the morning mowing and, and cutting down timber and starting fires. And, and I'd turn off the tractor, and I'd be in the middle of a forest. And I'd just start crying, going, what am I doing? I've, I've moved my family to Texas we have eight kids living in this house with us. My family, the four of us, my son was in fourth grade at the time. My daughter in eighth grade were sleeping on the floor in all one room where we lived for two and a half years when we started things off. And so we'd put the kids to bed. Then I would go out and, and just mow grass and cut timber and start fires and have poison ivy and be miserable. <laughs> and, I, and many times I just said, God, what? Hmm. I cried and cried and cried for two or three years. Looking back, though, I mean, the the way that you grew up and some pain there uh, and, and then the pain of being released from that job that you loved, that was doing the thing that you felt called to do, you can look back now and see how God was using that oh, yeah. to prepare you yeah. and to shape you and, and he, all the rest. Yeah, I, I, and I think he has. And, and uh, I didn't like his plan, but but I accept it nonetheless. <laughs> I'm I mean, growing I, and I don't like oh, it. Oh, I know. I, I you know, but yet I I want it again, but I don't want it again. I I think I do understand what he was doing um, in retrospect, but I didn't then because I really thought it's just another rejection because hmm. I've always had rejection. And the amazing thing about Jan was she never rejected me. And so as we moved along in life, that was the one constant. And yet there would be other rejections. And it, I'm not a bad guy, and I'm not, I'm not wrong. It was just that things were different. I'm a little progressive. I'm ADD. And I've always got a million things going on. I like to get things done. I don't like to tarry around. I mean, it's come on, let's do it, let's do it. And so it, it, it's not that we were treated so bad. We just didn't feel like we fit somewhere. And in retrospect, that's that entrepreneur yeah. type of mentality. And, and, uh, and so now it's worked out really well. All right, so you moved to Texas, you've got this 100 acres, you've got a few kids living in a house, and yeah. you're trying to minister to them and their families. But now, these years later, it's become quite yeah. large. I mean, what happened in the intervening years? You know, I always said I never wanted to live with more than eight kids. That's, I, I really said, that's all I want to do, live with eight kids, work with them and their families. That's it. And then somebody said, we need to build another house. And I said, well, okay, well, let's do that. Then they said, let's build another one. Let's build another one. Let's build another one. So we build all these log cabins. And when we did that, it started to turn into something. Somebody made a comment when you look at the property where all of Heartlight is, or the residential ministry, people say it looks like you have a master plan that you followed on this thing. And I've been quick to tell people, let me assure you, there was never a master plan, but I'm convinced that the master always had a plan. And so buildings that we build... They look beautiful, but they'll one day rot. I mean, I know they will. But what's going to last are those relationships and the Word of God that we build into those kids and, and the way that we embrace them and, and, uh, and walk beside them as they struggle through some things. I think I have probably never really felt God's presence in things, even though I wanted to. But I think it's only been within the last 10 years that I started to see His presence and to see what He was doing and I think it's just my busyness kept me from looking at him, even though I kept doing what he was telling me mm-hmm. to do. I didn't really realize that he has had his hand in all of this. Let's get to the heart of the matter. Uh, you have such a uh, compassion for teens and for parents. Mm. You help both equally, don't yeah. you? I mean, the yeah. teens come to live with you, but 
Sometimes it seems like it should be the other way around. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I know it does. But and quite honestly, I'd rather hang out with kids. You know, if, if I had one thing to do, somebody if somebody said you get to choose one thing and that's it, I'd give up everything. Even these teens that are in enough trouble that they have to come live with you? Oh, I like them more. I mean, I just think it, because you started a relationship uh, that's at the very bottom and you get to grow from that and love them in ways that they've probably never been loved before. But I think I would go back and just say, you know, that one thing would be I'd want to hang out with kids and spend time with them. Now, I'm 55 years old. I'm turning colors. I mean, and <laughs> my mustache is white. I'm graying up a little bit. And I always thought that I wouldn't make it past 30 working with kids. But I feel more effective today working with kids than I ever have. What gives you that entree into their life? I think it's just caring for them and maybe the wisdom to not put up with any of their stuff. I mean, I kind of cut to the quick. You're I, a no-nonsense guy. I, I just go, okay, let's talk about this. This is what's going on. Let's talk about that. And I think they're looking for that. And I think the other thing is they feel that I'm safe. You know, I'm not going to be doing anything. I'm not sexually motivated toward any of them. And I mean, it's they know that I'm a safe guy. And I think that creates an atmosphere for a relationship to happen. And I think because of the gray hair and all that, they feel like there's some wisdom that's coming across. You're not quite grandpa yet, but... Well, I don't look like a grandpa. I am a grandpa, but I don't look like that. You know, like I'm walking around going, hey, Wayne, it's good to see you, you know. But you do like to have fun with the kids. You're still getting out there. You're water skiing with them. You're riding horses with them, doing all kinds of things. I love that because that's the way that I can – of course, I enjoy doing those things, but that's the way that I can engage with them and help them through other issues in their life. You like to use animals as, as almost kind of therapy with teens, don't it you? It is. I always wanted to be a vet in high school. Now I'm, I'm, I'm assured that I didn't want to be because it would have driven me nuts. But, but animals have an amazing way of teaching you about yourself, and, and especially horses. And so they, it's, it's almost a mystical bond that happens with some of them because horses aren't the smartest mammals in the world, but they, but they are something that can teach you something about yourself, that you can get frustrated, angry, mad, disappointed, scared, and, uh, but you can have a lot of fun with them, but you learn about yourself in the process. Looking back, and if you could change anything, would you change anything? Uh-uh. You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, All the pain? I probably would have eaten a lot more stuff when I was younger, <laughs> um, but, but, I, but I wouldn't. I, I think you know, even that pain, I look at all that pain, and I, and I really think that God has taken that and molded me into something, and, and he has used it. I, I would not change a thing. Um, th- there isn't one thing that I would. You know, I mean, my son goes through a divorce. So we, we struggle with our daughter for a little while. We all that, but all that's a part of the package. That's a part of that tapestry that— It's made and, you who you are. Yeah, and I look at that tapestry now, and I go, you know, I like it. I really do like it. And uh, uh, I'm anxious to see what he does over the next few years to see, you know, what that's going to be. And it's going to be dark times, and it's going to be good times. And I don't look forward to the dark, but, you know, I think in the long run, because of what he's done, I'll be able to accept what he is doing in the future. Mark Gregston of Heartlight Ministries and the radio program Parenting Today's Teens. If you'd like additional information about Heartlight or if you need resources to answer some of the questions you may be facing with a teenager, we've placed a link to Parenting Today's Teens on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. By following that link, you can listen to Mark's radio program and subscribe to his newsletter, even find hundreds of practical resources to offer you help and hope as a family. The starting point is firstpersoninterview.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Well, we're going international next week. We're going to meet a husband and wife who operate a Christian radio station in Albania, a country that once banned all religion. 
Today, the gospel is being proclaimed and they will tell their remarkable story. Tani and Efti Baraku join me next week here on First Person. Now with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next week at this time for First Person. Thank you.